0: Welcome to Strictly Business, Variety's podcast featuring conversations with industry leaders about the business of entertainment. I'm Cynthia Littleton, Managing Editor of Television for Variety, and today my guest in Los Angeles is Byron Allen. Byron is one of the busiest entrepreneurs in show business these days. He founded his company, Entertainment Studios, in 1993 in his living room. Since then, it has expanded rapidly from syndicated programming into cable television and now independent film distribution. In this lively conversation, he takes us through his recent $300 million acquisition of The Weather Channel, his strategy in the film business, and he also talks about his controversial decision to pursue civil rights legal cases against major distributors alleging discrimination in their business practices. So... Byron Allen, thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you, Cynthia Littleton. It's good to be here and hang
1: out with you. I'm a fan of yours.
0: You started, so your company is called Entertainment Studios. Yes. And you started, you founded the company in 1993. Yes. But you have really been on a growth spurt. You've really expanded quite a bit in the last... Three to five years?
1: Yeah, yes, yes. I'm a 57-year-old overnight sensation. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I started the company uh, from my dining room table uh, 25 years ago. And uh, for me, it was always business show, not show business. And I made it a point of that. You know, Uh, I started as a stand-up comedian when I was 14 years old, 13, 14 years old. Uh, summer of 74 I think it was it was either 74 or 75 I should know by this point and uh, you know my mother I was born in Detroit Michigan so I come from that whole blue collar background my dad worked at Ford Motor Company for over 30 years and my grandfather worked at Great Lake Steel for over 30 years and these guys I mean if they ever called in a day sick I'd be shocked and they got to work an hour early and they always tried to figure out how to put a you know, 26 hours in a in a 24-hour day. And uh, just good guys, hard workers. And uh, my mother and father got a divorce. Um, we came, my, my mother and I came out here somewhere 68.
0: To Los Angeles. To Los
1: Angeles, excuse me, yes, uh, to Los Angeles from Detroit. Um, there was, uh, you know, a lot of riots. I was going to tur- say, that's know, a
0: heady time, a heady both time. for
1: L.A. and Detroit. And for Detroit, right? So uh, when Martin Luther King uh, was assassinated, you know, uh, Detroit, uh, the, the top blew off, and uh, military immediately took over my neighborhood, uh, shut us down. Uh, you know, looking down the barrel of the tank, uh, troops walking on our lawns with bayonets, and made it really clear: if you don't get in the house, we're going to shoot and kill. And uh, so we thought, okay, let's go visit some family and friends in L.A. And uh, thought it was a two-week vacation in uh, summer of '68, and never went home. I was seven years old at that point. And my mother, who had me 17 days after her 17th birthday, so I tell everybody I have two high school diplomas, (laughs) Uh, my mother uh, happens to be very beautiful and smart, and she ended up going to UCLA, and she ended up uh, getting her master's degree in uh, cinema TV production at UCLA. And while uh, raising me, she was attending school, and she went to NBC and asked them, uh, could she get a job? Uh, doing anything? And they said, no. And uh, she said, well, can I be an intern? And uh, they said, we don't have an intern program. And then she asked a very important question. Will you start one with me? And they said, yes. And from that, she became a tour guide. And later she became uh, a a publicist uh, working in the publicity and marketing department at uh, NBC. And uh, when she was a tour guide, I used to go out to NBC with her and wait for her to get off work. And as a kid, I just sat and I watched them make television. And up until this point, I was going to go work with my dad at Ford Motor Company or my granddaddy at Great Lake Steel and uh, build cars. And uh, when I saw this different kind of factory, a content factory, it changed my life and my, my perspective. I saw Johnny Carson tape The Tonight Show.
0: Oh, my goodness. And then
1: I would walk across the hall and I would watch Red Fox. Tape Sanford and Son. And then I go around the corner and watch uh, Freddie Prince do Chico and the Man. And then the next day would be Flip Wilson doing the Flip Wilson show. And then I go across the hall and I would watch a local sportscaster named Bryant Gumble do the local sports and a local weatherman named Pat Sajak do the weather for KNBC. Then I go down the hall and I watch him do a soap opera, Days of Our Lives. And I just was—I would go from studio to studio to studio and watch Bob Hope and George Burns and all of these amazing, iconic, super-talented people make television. And I was—I was instantly in love. And I watched the executives at NBC, Fred Silverman and Brandon Tartikoff, interact with the producers, George Slaughter and Jimmy Komack, interact with the with the writers and the directors and the crew and the unions, and it was a symphony. And it was a symphony that I loved watching and listening to. And I thought, and I knew right then, this is what I'm going to dedicate my life to. This is what I'm going to do until the day I die. I read one day in the New York Times that uh, Verizon was going to spend $23 billion to bring fiber to the home and offer 150 HD channels and compete with cable. So I went to Verizon, and I said, okay, I I read about your initiative. And I said, I'm here to launch 10 24-hour HD networks, 10 of them. And they said, how many do you have now? I said, zero. (laughs) And they were like, okay, he's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. And they go, what are you thinking? I said, well, if you really want to know what I'm thinking, I think that, uh," I said, this is a huge opportunity. I said a hundred years ago it was uh, the industrial revolution and uh, the industrial revolution was fueled by gas and oil and today it's the digital revolution and that this revolution is being fueled by content and we're not very efficient and we have to do exactly what Rockefeller did and Henry Ford and I love and I've studied all of their moves because I just love entrepreneurs and business it's just something that I was more into that than sports. And I said, like Rockefeller was vertically integrated, he, he we have to be vertically integrated. He took the uh, oil out of the ground, put it in the pipelines, sent it to the refineries, put it on the trucks, sent it to the gas stations, and put it in every gas tank and made it affordable and efficient. And we have to do the same thing with content 100 years later. That business mindset applies today. And I said, when I send a crew, I said, look, My dad worked at Ford. My granddaddy worked at Great Lakes Steel. These guys work 20 hours a day. But sometimes TV crews want to work two hours and try and get paid for 12. It's a very inefficient business. And I'm here to bring that Henry Ford Rockefeller efficiency to this space. So when I send a camera crew to Pebble Beach to cover the car show Concourse d'Elegance, I don't want them to just shoot the car show for our 24-hour television network cars.tv which we won an Emmy for and I'm very proud of Uh, I also want them to shoot the resorts in Pebble Beach for our travel channel mydestination.tv shoot the chefs up there for our cooking channel recipe.tv shoot what's going on in the pet community up there for our 24 hour pet channel pets.tv and shoot all the celebrities that come to the show for our entertainment channel es.tv and they say wow that's brilliant We've had a lot of pitches. No one's ever come to us with that point of view and that unique business model. They say we won't give you 10 networks, but we will give you six. And we made history. And we launched six 24-hour HD networks in a single day a little over nine years ago. And those are all of our 24-hour networks that are on Verizon and AT&T. And some of them are on Dish and Direct.
0: And you're up to eight
1: now. We have right? eight now. Yeah. Right. And so what I did was I went and bought all the dot TVs about twelve years ago.
0: The domain rights the, to the, those. yes, yeah.
1: the premium dot TVs. Uh, and I said, look, the internet at this point it was you know, we're in the, you know, we're coming out of you know, we're in dot coms and I said, dot com is for me was Internet one It was read it. But I said habitually we watch more than we read. And I said, what's going to happen is we're going to have an unbelievable, insatiable appetite to watch it online. So I said, dot TV represents watch it. So I started buying all of the beachfront real estate. That's why we ended up with Comedy.TV and Cars.TV, Pets.TV. And we have a number of them we haven't turned on. Music.TV, Kids.TV, Sports.TV, News.TV. And we'll turn them all on. And the goal is to be direct to the consumers worldwide on every device, 30, 40 different verticals. That's the vision. And that's been the vision since day one. So we, we turned on those networks. And we we said, we're going to own all the content, 100%, shoot everything in native HD, a day crew and a night crew that produces and edits, just like at Ford Motor Company. Because when I was a kid, my mom and I used to drop my dad off at Ford Motor Company at the night crew. So I said, we will have a night crew here. So we'll have editors that go during the day, and then we'll have a set of editors go at night and keep the machine going and keep making the content and make it. And, what, what I, and like my mentor who took the radio shows and made, sh- and made television shows, I took the magazine stand and made them 24-hour verticals. You have plenty of car magazines mm-hmm. and plenty of cooking magazines and, and plenty of travel magazines. They're, those are passion points. People will always be interested in that. And our new magazine stand is the mobile phone. Not your traditional magazines, and stand. you saw
0: that a decade ago.
1: I, that's why I started buying all the dot TVs, and I said, you know, I will, I couldn't raise money, uh, so I said I will finance it myself. Uh, and this is a vision that's hard to explain, and but they will eventually show up, and they will eventually start watching over the top, and we we uh, launched, and then we added a seventh network. We became the largest producer of court shows, and now we have six of them, and I created a 24-hour vertical. I couldn't license the court shows to any cable network, so I said, okay, we'll just start our own one. So we started uh, JusticeCentral.TV, and uh, then someone came to me and said, you should buy the Weather Channel, Uh, a buddy of mine who satellites our networks. And he's the largest, one of the largest in that space, satellite and 24-hour networks. And he said, you should buy it. And he said, I used to be uh, one of the top executives at, this, at the Weather Channel. Uh, and he says, people don't realize how much money it makes. And they don't realize what a cash cow it is. And, and he goes, and it fits your other seven networks perfectly. It's your model.
0: It's a vertical unto itself. It's a vertical sure.
1: unto itself. And it's you own all the content 100%. And you're able to go on every device everywhere. We were one of the first to achieve TV everywhere, not because of the technology, but because we own the rights to our content 100%. Mm-hmm. And we were able to go on every vertical everywhere. And uh, I looked at it. And I said, you're right. He said, look, it's owned by Blackstone, who manages over $435 billion. It's managed. It's owned by Bain, who manages over $100 billion in cash, as well as Comcast. And so these are really smart, sophisticated operators, sellers. And, uh, and I said, I love it. So let's get into it. And we got into it. It wasn't an easy deal to get done.
0: How long did it take you to 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 work that out because you announced the deal in April a three hundred million dollar deal
1: march twenty second we didn't announce the deal we did the i remember I, I I could barely go to bed the night before because I didn't want to oversleep and all the bankers and lawyers and i mean dozens and dozens on the phone at five a m uh confirming everybody had all their paperwork in in line. Check, check, check. The wire transfer went through, <laughs> and uh, it was uh, it was uh, uh, at five a.m. and it was all done at five ten, and the wires started going through, and I think it was sixty eight different wires to various entities. We did a test run the day before of a dollar per wire, to make sure all 68 of them worked. So I told them, I said, look at this, we haven't even closed, and I'm already 68 bucks over budget. So so all the wires went through, and after we confirmed that all the wires had gone through and everybody had gotten their share, then we announced at 8 a.m. And, uh, you know, uh, it was great. The team did a phenomenal job. It wasn't an easy negotiation. Uh, these were some of the brightest and toughest executives and lawyers, and it tested me, and it, it tested me. I mean, at, at one point, we had we had the deal two or three times, and we lost it, and it was at the end of the day. Uh,
0: was it over price? Was it over? It was
1: over, well... It was over terms, conditions, price. It was like everything. You had to go through the entire menu of everything, and it was it was one of those things. It was it was a marathon times ten. You had to run it, and you had to just not let go. And finally, this was uh, this will be in my book one day. We had agreed on everything. I had it done for a lot less. I had the deal done uh, for forty one million dollars less. And uh, they said, we only need one signature. And this was on a Thursday. I had signed my name 200 times. And those signatures were being held in escrow by the attorneys. And I had signed everything. And everybody had signed everything except for one signature. And this was a Thursday. So I said, can we get that signature so I can wire you this money and we can be done? And they said, "Uh, yeah, we just need that one signature. You'll get it on Monday or Tuesday. And... Didn't come Monday, and then Tuesday I said, "Where's the signature?" I'm ready to wire this money. And on Tuesday they said, "We got some bad news." I go, "Oh yeah?" I said, "There's no such thing as bad news right now, unless you're willing to take less." (laughs) And the bad news is for you. They said, "No, two more bidders. Two more bidders emerged over the weekend, and uh, they're higher than you. And one is 10 million more than you, and we'll close them in a nanosecond." And they said, and we're sure you're really upset with us, and you don't want to participate in the process. And I said, that's not true. I said, I am upset, but I am going to continue because this is a decision. I can be bitter. I can be better. And they said, I said to them, give me a number that you want me to pay you so we can end this right now. I said, here's the difference. I own my company 100%. I don't have a board of directors here. No analysis paralysis. The decision is made right here in the moment. As you tell me, you tell me the number and I'll either say yes or no. And if it's yes, it will be done within 10 minutes. And they said, I don't have a number. And I went, Oh my God, how do you not have a number? <laughs> you have to give me a number. They said, no number. And then I said, okay, and they said, we'll get back to you. And I knew what was going to happen next. We hung up the phone. I looked at my executives and I said, we're now going into a bidding war. So let's gear up. And, uh, the next morning at six 35 in the morning, I got an email and they said, we have three interested parties. And I was one of them.
0: Do you and know who the other two were?
1: I didn't. And, and, and all of my executives wanted to know. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't matter. We have to get rid of them. So so they said, we have three interested parties, and we want best and final bids by 2 p.m. Eastern today. And we're going to make a decision and sign with one of you today. So I called up, and I said, well, this isn't fair. They go, why? I go, well, I know my two competitors are on the East Coast. I knew that about them. I said, so it's 9.35 for them. They're at their desk having coffee. It's 6.35 here. I said, my people are still asleep or waking up or getting ready. And they go, yeah, we thought about that, but we know you're awake. I go, how do you know I'm awake? They go, because you never sleep. <laughs> I said, that's true. But I go, we have to get this on the same level playing field. They go, nope, you got to get yours in by 11 a.m. And they said, are you in? Are you going to go for it or not? they go i said yeah they go so what do you have to say i said muhammad ali they go muhammad ali i go those were just the two words that just came to my mind at this particular moment muhammad ali so they go what does that mean i said tell the other two guys i'm gonna hit them so hard i'm gonna knock them out of the ring into the cheap seats like muhammad ali they go okay bye bye muhammad ali so I hung up the phone and then I said, "What do I need to do?" And I, it was an instinctive thing. I said, "What do I need to do to beat these other two guys?" And I don't really know who they are, but I said, "What is it worth to me? A top line number because this is an asset we must have for strategic reasons." And the number that came to mind was 41 million, more than our previous bid. And so I put it. We wrote it up and I sent it at 10:59 a.m. our time. I made it with one minute to spare. And five after, like 10 minutes after 11 a.m., they called me up, the bankers on Wall Street, the bankers on Wall Street, and you could hear like almost this crackle in their voice. They go, are we reading this right? I go, what are you reading? And they explained it to me. I said, yes, those numbers are correct. Those are the numbers. And they went, okay, we'll get right back to you. I go, yeah, it's time to close, guys. This game is over. And we closed. And uh, and I just said I'm not going to let it go. And why was it an important transformative deal for us? It helped to bring along our other seven networks because our other seven networks were having a tough time getting distribution, and I didn't have the leverage. And this is a this is a unique iconic network. This network is. It's in the American homes for nearly 40 years.
0: It's the most widely distributed channel in your portfolio now. It's
1: the most widely distributed, 81 million homes. It's the only network that protects and saves lives. A lot of people depend on it, farmers, the government, businesses, retail. It is an extremely important information source. And it's 24 hours of weather news, and it is a phenomenal best-in-class asset. And it will only lift our others. And, uh... We immediately saw that. So we had a big negotiation right after we closed. And someone with millions and millions of subs. And we were able to... You're talking to, about
0: a negotiation with a distributor.
1: With a distributor, with a platform for the Weather Channel. And we were able to renew the Weather Channel. And more importantly, we were able to get distribution for some of our other cable networks.
0: Mm-hmm. It's, it's a so leverage game.
1: It, 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 and that, that was it. So uh, that's why I said... I'm not, I'm not going to lose this I'm going and I said to him I said, be really clear, I'm not going to lose this. This is not happening. I'm going to win. you can tell whoever you need to tell, but just know, I'm taking this one.
0: Who was the main banker that was orchestrating the deal for the sellers?
1: They were using uh Morgan Stanley mm-hmm. and they were terrific and and Morgan Stanley, and they were nice at at the end they said, "Wow. They said you have been amazing every step of the way. When we thought you would get upset and step out, you didn't. You were cool. You were calm. You were focused. Uh, and they were—they said—and you beat some really sophisticated players.
0: The financing of your company and your ambitions. So you own—you own entertainment studios outright. You don't have investors, do you? So you finance it with bank loans. How, how do you? <laughs>
1: You know, it's interesting this company shouldn't be around today. Uh I don't have I own it 100% uh not by design. I couldn't get anyone to invest in me or to believe in my vision or to offer me one penny. I watched a lot of people raise money and I, for whatever reason I just didn't have to ac- access to capital. And I said that's okay. You you know, you just you do it yourself. You know, you just build it yourself. And uh as a kid I would study all these Iconic entrepreneurs, and one of them I loved was uh, Annenberg, Walter, Walter Annenberg. and uh, publisher
0: was, of TV Guide TV, and some other things, and yeah. other
1: things, and you know he was terrific. And there's a story where you know they wouldn't let him in the uh, country club because he was Jewish, and uh, and he just went and built his own magnificent, spectacular golf course that is now in Palm Springs, and all the presidents have played on it. And it's just, look, if they don't let you in, you build it yourself and you make it better. And I watched a lot of brilliant brilliant people like him and just said, that's how you play the game. And when I couldn't raise the money, I, I, I went to factors. And the fact that we survive factors is one of the most amazing things ever. These are companies that will lend you against your receivables, but not at great rates. At one point, I was borrowing money against the world's greatest receivables, receivables from Pepsi and McDonald's and Johnson and Johnson at 25 and 26%
0: interest. It's amazing that you could create cash flow to have any operations.
1: It was unbelievably challenging. It was excruciating. But I didn't have access to capital. I couldn't get investors. I couldn't get a bank loan. And they said, "Well, you can go to these factors." And factors were kind of created for the garment industry. People would ship off their goods, and then they would say, "Okay, well, the store hasn't paid me yet." And factors, and, but they would lend against those orders. And so they, I said, "Well, can you please do it against this? This is Coca, you know, this is Pepsi, this is McDonald's." They said, "Sure." N- got paid every penny from those advertisers. Out of over the years. Ran hundreds of millions through there. Maybe less than 100 grand defaulted. Maybe less than 100,000 defaulted out of over 100 plus million. So then I was able to move into banking relationships. And the one thing I, had, I, I said I had, that I learned was I have to create my own bank. And my bank became internal, my own internal cash flow. Um, and I call it the bank of content.
0: At every turn, it's you. You have found the way around the big obstacles. The story of your mother's own experience coming to L.A. is very instructive in terms of where you got that entrepreneurial gene. Well, you start like,
1: with me. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know that's it. And you know, you know, the no is when you go to work. The yeah. no is not when you shut down. And uh, and I like being nimble like that you know when uh, unfortunately Susan Jackson passed away she was one of the founders of Freestyle Releasing and I went to lunch with her business partner uh, Mark Bordy and I said you know now that Susan's passed away what would you like to do you want to stay in or you want to sell he said I want to sell and I said how much do you want and he gave me a number and I said done I will buy it and Freestyle Freestyle
0: Releasing. was an independent film distributor. Yes. And that was kind of your entree into the film business, which has been an expansion for you in the last couple of years.
1: That's exactly right. And he was taken aback. And I said, I know you're kind of surprised. I said, remember, I own my company 100%. No analysis paralysis. Your company is sold. He goes, well, look, there's two or three other people way down the line from you. I go, how do they I I said, have they closed? He said, no. I go, well then they lost. Just call them up and let them know they lost and just enjoy lunch. I said, there's nothing to negotiate. You gave me a number. I'm sure the books are clean. I'm sure I'll get a good clean legal opinion. We're done. And uh we closed. And uh I and I said, what's really valuable is about this company, he's terrific, Mark but also have a direct relationship with all the movie theaters. I really wanted that.
0: Exhibitors, yeah.
1: All the exhibitors, just like I have a direct relationship with all the TV stations, and I have a direct relationship with all of the advertisers. I said, I really want that direct relationship with them, all the exhibitors. And he also had an output deal with Netflix that pays us on box office performance. And they pretty much only have two of those deals, one with us and one with the Walt Disney Company. And I said, I'm going to supersize this. And uh, I started studying box office mojo because I love the numbers. And I said, you know, I've studied hundreds and hundreds of movies. And I noticed the one type of movie that's never failed is a shark movie. And and I said, I want a shark movie. I want a shark movie to be our first movie because I can't find one that's failed. And they said, well, you know, the Weinsteins have a shark movie that they're not going to be putting out wide because they're short on cash because of uh, the hateful eight didn't do as well as they had hoped. And I said, okay. I said, well, let's go get it. And they said, what should we offer And I said, well, well, go offer him $2 bucks." So our head of acquisitions went to Bob Weinstein, and Bob was like, get out of here, get out of here. And then I said, what's going on with that shark movement? He said, Bob won't sell it to us at that price. I said, Sorry. well, he's my neighbor out in Malibu. He literally is like eight doors now, and I'll go up on his deck, and we'll get something done. So I walked down on the weekend, I walked down to his deck, I said, Bob, it's Byron Allen, I want to get something done on the on the Shark movie. And he looked at me, he says, Do you have any money? I said, yes. He says, well, have a seat. And so he says, What are you thinking? And I said, I'm thinking we should get this done at two million bucks. He says, I already told your guy to get out of here with that two million bucks. I go, two and a half, Bob. He goes, no. He goes, I want something with a three in front of it. I said, okay, three bucks. He goes, and more zeros. I said, <laughs> and I said, I said okay, um, let's do it. Let's do it. And, uh, and I get up to leave. And he goes, mm. he goes, I want some schmuck insurance. And I had to sit back down. I go, Bob, what do you mean? What do you mean? What, is schmuck, what, what schmuck insurance do you want, Bob? He goes, he goes, I want 2% of the back end. He goes, 2% of the back end. He goes, what does it matter? Just give me 2% of the back end. I said, okay, Bob. I said, I'm going to say something to you no one's ever said to you before. He goes, yeah, right. I said, I'm not going to give you 2% of the back end. I'm going to give you 2% of every dollar I collect. 2% of my gross. He goes, what? I said, Bob, I don't want to sit across the table from you going over receipts And trying to explain to you why I spend so much money on hair and makeup or whatever it is for Mandy Moore and Claire Holt. I'm not going to have that conversation with you. This is one movie. I'm going to put out 100 plus movies over the next seven years. We're not going to get rich off of this movie. This is a marathon, not a sprint. You are an excellent film producer. I want you to call me first when you have something you think is going to make money. So this 2% I'm giving you is 2% to say... Let's go on a long journey together and do it the
0: right way. Entertainment Studios Motion Pictures has been very active, picking up, picking up titles at festivals, documentaries, animation. You really seem to be building a portfolio.
1: Yes, yes. When I met my wife 17, 18 years ago, and uh, she said, what are you doing with your life? I said, I'm building the world's biggest media company. And she was like, "Okay, well, you're kind of cute, and now I know you're crazy." (laughs) So, you know, that was it. I said, "You know, I'm not about. It's not about what I like. It's what does the world want. I'm feeding them what they want." So it's all of that: documentaries, animation, action pictures, dramas, comedies, and I love it, Cynthia. I love it. I love you know. For me, every day is a play date with the world, (laughs) and you just wake up and you go and you play and and you just. You, you, you just pursue your love, pursue your passion. So for us, we are. I want to. I want to get to the point where we're putting out twenty-four movies a year. Uh,
0: that's ambitious. That's a that's a big slate by this by the standard of a stu- of a major studio.
1: It is. It is very ambitious. It just like saying, "Hey, I want to own eight twenty-four hour HD networks and uh, forty-one television shows and." And basically, we control, the, you know, it's probably the largest collection of time periods on broadcast television stations. We control thousands of hours on TV stations. In
0: syndication, In yeah. syndication.
1: Um, for us, it, these are very unique times. This is not a space where you want to be small. This is a space where you want to be big and get bigger and be bigger and continue to be bigger. Uh, or else you'll get flushed out of the system. Uh, I don't have a fear... Of, uh, about being a bit ambitious i have a fear about uh, of not being ambitious enough because you don't want to wake up and you're just too small that is if i have any fear that's the fear being too ambitious or being ambitious that's the asset don't wake up and find you're too small or you're done
0: let me ask you, a couple years ago, you took a controversial step. Mm-hmm. You filed some very high-profile lawsuits against the biggest distributors in television, mm-hmm. Comcast, Charter, mm-hmm. DirecTV, and you accused them of exhibiting racial bias in not negotiating with you in carriage deals on your, on your HD television networks. Can you tell me about what motivated that, and do you feel like it was a, it was a successful path? for entertainment studios yes. to take.
1: Yes, so the matter with AT&T has been resolved. So um, uh, we wish AT&T extremely well. Um, the lawsuit, the $20 billion against Comcast and the $20 billion against Charter, I'm sorry, the $10 billion against Charter, are still in the court, and they're in the Ninth Circuit. And I'm highly confident we will prevail. So I'm not a litigious person. I had not sued anyone before. The Obama administration came to me and said, hey, Comcast, Charter, blah, 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 Time Warner Cable, these guys want to get bigger. Are they good corporate citizens? And will you come to D.C. and talk to the DOJ and the FCC? And I said, sure. So I go to, the, to DC and I sit with the Department of Justice and 18 lawyers taking notes and I'm sitting with them and hour after hour and talking with them and the FCC and they said are they good corporate citizens as I said the answer is not no the answer is hell no and you know that and they said "Well, what's your thinking I said well I said they spend as an industry 70 billion a year Licensing cable networks. Not one penny goes to African American ownership. Not to be confused with targeted ownership. I also said, why don't you just look at the board of directors at Charter? They have 11 white guys on their board. 11 white guys get together every 90 days and look around the room and say, and they say, this feels right. I said, they don't even have someone who represents 60% of the global population on their board, a woman, a woman. How do you not have at least one woman out of 11 white guys? I can't believe I'm having this conversation with you today, Department of Justice. They don't have anyone that's Hispanic or Asian or someone representing the LBGT community. Nothing. Nothing. I said, you really think they should be the number two provider of broadband in America? Look at their board of 11 white guys and tell me why you think they should have the keys. I said, as a matter of fact, they don't even spend 60000 70000 a year to pay someone to sit in a closet and pretend to be the chief diversity officer. They don't even have a chief diversity officer. And you had me fly across the country to ask me if I think they're good corporate citizens. You guys need to Google I'll do it. I'm not going to leave this for my daughters to deal with. I'm going to deal with it for once and for all. And they said, well, what are you thinking about doing? I said, I'm going to do it in a way where it can't be ignored. So we can stop the excuses and we can get it past us. I don't, I don't want my daughters talking about women not being on boards and people of color not being included. I said, because in America, we don't really have a true democracy unless all of our voices are widely heard. All of our voices must be heard, not just some of them. And so I must structure it where we have a level playing field. And I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it in a way that's very unique. And so I said, look, here's what happens. When you're a woman or a person of, per- a person of color, you're African American, they put the four Ds on you, the four Ds. First, they dismiss you, right? That's the first D. And then you get a little frustrated by that. And so when you get a little frustrated, they discredit you. Oh, look at her. She's just cranky. And then you, you say, no, no, that's not true. You step up and you speak louder. It might be protest or whatever it is. Then they put that third D on you. They demonize you. And they have to do that third D to get right with their so-called Christian selves, So they can do the fourth and inevitable D, which is destroy you, dismiss, discredit, demonize, destroy. And I figured out that matrix that they use on women and people of color. And I said, I'm going to work around that matrix. And the best way to do it is to use the legal process.
0: And before before your experience talking to the Justice Department, you had been knocking on the door but had not oh, to talk to them years. about carrying your channels and over. you you'd gotten no engagement
1: no one no one got engagement and turn, no, the what i said is the quickest way to get rid of my lawsuit is to bring in someone of color bring in an african american and say that byron allen's wrong this person owns a network on our platform that person didn't exist before the lawsuit and i said you should not be in that position when you're spending $70 a year and I know a hundred people who've come to you to get networks whether it was Will Smith or Don Cornelius or whoever it was and tried to get cable networks with you and it was no, 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 no and you should not be in a position where you have 500 channels and not one of them are owned by someone in the community that's just wrong and I'm holding you accountable and so I said, okay, we're going to get around the four D's by using the legal system. So I paid my lawyers millions and millions of dollars. And they said, let's use Civil Rights Act 1866, section 1981. The year in which it was put on the books, 1866, to protect the newly freed slaves, to make sure African-Americans had economic inclusion, government and commercial contracting. Well, nobody even knew about the law. They forgot about it. So I took it, and I put it on steroids, and I said, here, here's $20 billion. Now let's deal with it. Now are you doing business with the community, or are you not? And I said, this is something that we're going to address forever, for once and for all, and this is a wrap. I'm not going to complain. I'm going to take you to federal court. And in federal court, you need to explain why you're not in business with pe- you have Spanish language networks where the people who own them can't even speak Spanish so we have to now start the process of being at the table right and this is a very important thing especially after I started having my kids someone said to me why does it have to be black owned why can't it be black targeted and I said okay well you're a father you have some little girls just like me I said would you be okay if I control?" the image, the likeness, how your little girls grew up and saw themselves? Could I shape their image and their self-esteem with my control over film and TV? Am I, are you all right with that? I have complete control over how they see themselves, and whether they're beautiful or stupid or smart or wanted or not wanted. He goes, no, I'm not comfortable with that. And I say, why do you think I would be comfortable with that? Now that I have my girls, I'm not asking for a seat at the table. Let me be clear. I'm taking a seat at the table, and I'm going to be a part of that process. This is changing. The game has changed. My name is Byron Allen, and let me explain the new rules. And so when I dropped that lawsuit, it changed the game. They were like, whoa, nobody has ever approached us this way. And so that lawsuit, those lawsuits are historic, and they're designed to address very important issues in this country. Coretta Scott King was a friend of mine. I bought the rights to her life story because I wanted to look at Martin Luther King through her eyes. And she said, look, Byron, as black people, in this country, we had four major challenges. Number one, end slavery. Number two, end Jim Crow, which I think was more damaging than slavery because when we were slaves, You know, we were considered property and valuable, but when we were free, we were considered the enemy. And that's when they said, kill all black people, lynch all black people, burn all black people, because they looked at us as competitors. And then she said, number three, achieve civil rights. And then she choked up and she said, and number four, the real reason they killed my Martin, achieve economic inclusion. And she said, everybody thinks they killed him over. uh, I have a dream. But it wasn't, I have a dream. The speech that got him in trouble was the other America. That's the speech that got him killed. The other America. The speech where he was talking about economic inclusion. And he said, there are two Americas. One America has access to opportunity, education, capital that's not predatory, mentorship. What does it matter if I can sit at the same lunch counter as my white counterpart? And I cannot afford the same hamburger. There are two Americas and two Americas will not survive. We need one America. And so that was something. And I said, I got it. I will deal with the fourth and final chapter, economic inclusion. That is what I I told her. I said, I'll deal with that. You're right. And they killed him on the spot with the poor people's March when he was delivering half a million poor people to the nation's capital. And it was primarily poor white people. And they said, this is too powerful to deal with. And here we are 50 years later, we don't have that economic inclusion. And so that's why I, I did the lawsuits. And that's also what I said to Tom Rutledge who runs charter. I said, Tom, Tom said to me, "Will you file these lawsuits to take advantage of the merger, I said Tom, when Charter
0: was trying to buy, buy in the Warner, process of buying Time Warner, Warner Cable. Right. I mean, that, you mark. know, just to be blunt, you have been accused of playing a race card. Yes. At a moment when yes. a company like Charter was vulnerable yes. to gain carriage for your channels. That's exactly. That's right. what they're saying.
1: Well stated, and I said to Tom, I said, "Tom, if you really want to know the truth, I'll tell you the truth." I said, "You having eleven white guys on your board, no women and people of color? I have an issue with that." I said, but if you really want to look at the, at the time stamp, I didn't sue you until I saw a photo of you in the newspaper with Al Sharpton. And you said that you had signed a memorandum of understanding, an MOU with Al Sharpton, as to how you will be handling black people. That is when I sued you after I saw that. And I said, Tom, who is the white man that speaks for all white people? And if that white man doesn't exist, why do you think there's a black man that speaks for all black people? The very idea of Al Sharpton, in my opinion, is racist, which is why I named Al Sharpton in the lawsuits. Tom, black people speak for themselves. You need to treat us as equals, not as these natives that have someone who speak for them. That is why I sued you. We have to change your behavior. And get you to look at us and deal with us as equals, and not someone that you feel superior to.
0: Do you feel like the federal courts is that there is a real avenue for you to achieve the goals that you're trying to achieve yes. with these suits?
1: Yeah, I do absolutely. I think that uh, I think the look we already got a favorable ruling against Charter. Judge Wu and federal court downtown ruled in our favor. Seventeen page ruling that this lawsuit is to go forward. uh, uh, The charter lawyers put on their adult diapers and immediately filed for interlocutory appeal on the spot. And that's how we ended up in the Ninth Circuit. And we're going to go to the Ninth Circuit, we're going to win there. And then we're going to go back to federal court, we're going to win there. And then we're going to go to the Supreme Court, and we're going to win there. And you know what's going to happen then? Corporate America is going to start doing business with all Americans, including African-Americans who have been the furthest left behind. See, this is all a part of what I call economic genocide. When you don't have access to a proper education and capital that's not predatory, but you have access to plenty plenty of guns, drugs, and alcohol, you end up in a war zone. And you die from the drugs, the alcohol, the hopelessness, and the violence. But this is what America needs to do to go to the next level. We are only 327 million people out of a global population of 7 billion. We're less than 5% of the country. Half the women in this country live at or below the poverty line. If the women fail, so will the children. China has over 200 million kids in college. China has over 200 million kids in college. Two-thirds of our nation is in college, developing intellectual capital at a much faster rate than we are. The women must succeed. We must position every American to unleash their greatest potential in order for us to continue to compete on a global level. All Americans must be positioned to succeed, to bring the A-game, to have a truly great America, a greater America. There, No more, it doesn't work anymore, to leave half of us behind. We must position everyone to succeed. And this, these lawsuits start that process of economic inclusion and opportunity.
0: Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Strictly Business.